Hey, good morning, everybody. How are you? You doing well? Good. Good to be with you this morning. Hey, just a, a quick little setup here. Every message has to have a setup. This is my setup. Um, a lot of times, pastors' messages invoke feelings of encouragement. Um, we're really kind of inspired by the words that the teaching pastor's giving, and we're like ready to go and tackle the world. Then there's those messages that you get that are really leave you kind of uncomfortable. Maybe you feel like the guy is kind of messing with you a little bit. You might even feel a little bit angry by what they say. So guess which category today's message is going to fall in. Yeah, we're going to mess with you a little bit, and it's done out of a spirit of uh, desire for us to understand fully all that God has for us. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, I've come that you can have life, you can have it abundantly, and uh, boy, I want that. That sounds really good. Um, but there's a lot of times when Jesus says, well, then it means this, Andy. Uh, sometimes I don't want that, You're right? So when it uh, comes to the subject of money that we've been in the last couple weeks, there's a lot of times we just would rather ignore the subject. Uh, we certainly don't want people looking in on how we spend our money and telling us how we should do that a little differently. But here's the reality. As much as we might want to ignore the subject, the Bible doesn't. God speaks often, and he speaks very clearly about the subject of what we do with money and how we manage our stuff. Just a couple uh, little facts about Scripture here. The subject of money and possessions comes up over 800 times. In, either, in both the Old and the New Testament. 25% of Jesus' teaching is on the subject of money and possessions. There are over, the a Bible offers 500 verses on prayer, fewer than 500 verses on faith, but more than 2,000 verses on money. As much as uh, we want to avoid it, the subject cannot be avoided when you engage Scripture. So if we're serious about following Jesus, if we are serious about the, the role that the Bible has in shaping our behavior and our thinking, then we have to be serious about the things that God says about our possessions and what we do with money that we have. Speaking of money, Paul wrote to his protege, Timothy. Paul wrote most of the New Testament, and he would often write to small churches, and he would say, to that leader, hey, here's some things that I want you to think about. So he's writing to his protege, Timothy, and he says, Tim, when you talk to rich people, here's what I want you to say. Let's just look at what Paul wrote. Verse 17 of 1 Timothy chapter 6. You can open up your smartphones. You can follow along in the slides. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Now, I lost you about the first words in, because what you said was, Andy, this has nothing to do with me because I'm not rich. Rich is that other guy. Rich is that other family. But the more I've 
reflected on my life, this present world, places that I've been both in the United States and outside the United States, places like South Korea, Haiti, the slums in Mexico, counties like Owsley, Kentucky, only just a few hours from here, and it's the poorest county in the United States. There are neighborhoods in my city where I have gone and I have felt rich. And I might have been the richest person in the room. The other thing that I've discovered is that as I start to reflect more on my problems, the things that annoy me, the things that frustrate me, I realize the issues that I often struggle with are really a reflection of my wealth, a reflection of my privilege. That I really just struggle with kind of first world problems. And I think you might too. Let's watch this screen. Now, here's the, here's the reality. I think that truth that I feel, I, I want to break it to you. You're rich. Most of us in this room are rich. The problem is we confuse feelings with being rich. In other words, we don't feel rich, therefore we don't think we are rich. So let's take a little journey backward. When was a time in your life you felt rich? Anybody can think of a moment? I'll, t- I'll tell you mine as you're thinking about yours. It was when I worked at King's Island at Guess Your Age and Weight. I used to be that guy. <laughs> you know, and I learned that women do not like it when they step on the ske- uh, scale and you put your foot and you squeeze it down real hard and you jack the scale and you yell out the number. Man, they just get uncomfortable with that. But anyways, I was a teenager. I was making minimum wage, working at King's Island, living in my mom's basement. I had no responsibilities, and I felt rich. Now, I look back, I make exceptionally more money than I made then, and yet I don't feel rich. Why? Because when I was a teenager, I had this wonderful thing. It's called margin. And it was in that margin where, you know, I had a lot of space that I had the feelings of, wow, I've got a lot. So the moral of that story is if you want to feel rich, grab a minimum uh, paying job at Kings Island and then move in with your parents. That'll help you do that. Or if you don't want to do that, think about taking Financial Peace University. We've been talking about that the last couple weeks. It begins this uh, coming Wednesday. We're blowing it up. Lots of people have enrolled. There's still time for you. It begins on Wednesday. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But that gift of that class is nine weeks is going to be a gift to you, your family, your financial legacy. And you will learn how to both be rich and feel rich. So if you today think, well, Andy, still, you're not really convincing me. Here, let me, let me just invite you today to not argue with me, not sort of just kind of dismiss it, but lean in as if the words of God today, spoken and written through the letter of Timothy, might help you in some way think differently about the resources that you have. Because again, if we, if we take the Bible seriously, we're going to give an account for what we did with our resources. And I want you and I want to be very proud of the account we will give. So we got a, we got a little bit of learning to do. If you'd like to take notes, I'm going to give you a couple thoughts on these verses. And then you can leave here and, and kind of apply them as they fit for you. Let's just walk through that scripture again. 
We'll read a little bit, we'll pause, we'll find ourselves in it. So what does Timothy, what does Paul tell Timothy the first thing to do? If you're taking notes, he says, look, Timothy, tell these rich people, don't be arrogant. Don't be arrogant. Look what he says. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. You see, anytime you have money or you begin to gain more wealth, your money tempts you to believe things about yourself that aren't entirely true. For example, you start to believe you're smarter than other people who have less money than you do. You believe that you are more entitled than those that have less money. Why don't they get a job? Why don't they, you know, and and so we can project onto them judgment, and we're doing it primarily from a perspective that we think we're entitled. We also think that our comfort is more valuable than other people's comfort. In fact, modern research supports these statements, that it's been proven that the more wealth a person has, or as they start to have money and they increase with money, it's interesting the, the trajectory of their compassion and their generosity and their open-handedness, their things like their empathy, actually decreases. It does not increase. Why is that? Because those things are a reflection of your heart. They are never a reflection of your pocketbook. So your wallet only illuminates what's really going on in your soul. That's all it does. So the first thing Paul says, you want to get the wealth that you have right? You want to honor God with it? You want to live a life that you feel better? You put your head on the pillow and you go, man, I'm making a difference with what God's given me. There's a reason why I'm here and I'm not there. And it's not all just my effort. It's the grace and the kindness of God. You want to get like that? The first thing you do is you're not arrogant. You're not arrogant. You're humble. Here's the second. Don't trust in your money. Instead, trust in God. Now, if I were to say to you, are you trusting in your money? You'd say no. Would I say, are you arrogant with your money? You'd say no. Because all that stuff can really, it can be kind of masked. You know, greed, no, nobody in, in the 20 some odd years I've been a minister, nobody's ever come out and, and met with me for lunch and said, you know, here's my problem, Andy. I'm greedy. Nobody's ever done that. I've not had one conversation like that. But because greed, interesting enough, it can be masked as a virtue. Well, I'm, you know, I'm conservative with my money. You know, I, I'm saving a lot. And so we, we can use phrases where everybody kind of goes, that, that, that seems to make sense. That's a good practice. And then we can honestly emotionally attached to money in a way that's not healthy. That's not healthy at all. Look what Paul says. Don't be greedy. He says, nor to put their hope in wealth. Which is what? It's uncertain. There's no, there's no stability to your wealth. Because we're all tempted to look to our money to give us something it cannot give us. It cannot give us. Our finances cannot ultimately purchase peace, contentment, hope. I think your money can certainly accelerate a degree of comfort, and, and there'd be, that'd be foolish to act like those things don't happen. 
But I'm talking about that deep thing that we're wired to pursue. Look at this uh, verse out of Proverbs. Again, this will just kind of illustrate the wisdom and, and the value of reading Scripture. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They, and what's this next word? What is it? They do what? They imagine it a wall too high to scale. I think that word imagine is, is wonderful. I think the, the writer grabbing that was so wise to say that because have you, have you had this imaginary conversation with your spouse or maybe yourself or with your friends? If I only could make this amount and whatever that amount is, man, we're, gonna, we're not going to even fight about money anymore. You know, if, if I only made X, we'd be set. Like it would just, it'd be awesome, man. You imagine what we could do for our kids and and, and really what we're doing is we're trying to illustrate how much joy we would have, how much satisfaction we would find if we only had a little bit more. Now, my experience is that as my income has increased, in the words of one of the greatest rock bands of this world, U2, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Christine and I, have had tremendously uh, heated conversations. I'll call them just, you know, fellowship moments <laughs> where we've gotten really sideways about money. And the interesting thing is that we keep thinking, you know, money will bring me hope and all I need is more of it. So I keep chasing it. See, because contentment and hope only comes from God. It only comes from God. And as long as money is our chief source of security, money will be the primary source of our anxiety. You should write that down. That, that was pretty good. I'll, I, you really should. You'd be like, you guys are just looking at me like, what else you got, monkey boy? But I'm saying, I'm just saying, as long as you and I think Ah, if I just had a little bit more, money's going to keep going. Come on, chase after me. It'll be like your junior high girlfriend. Come on, come on, keep chasing me. Look at this writer in Ecclesiastes again. Those who love money, they never have enough. Those who love wealth, they're never satisfied. They're just never satisfied with their income. See, there's just that lie. What we need to keep us worrying about money is more money. So consequently, we'll work longer hours, often at the expense of the people we love and the things that truly matter because we're pursuing more, more. We're lured into ethical and moral shortcuts for monetary gain. We'll, we'll take that contract and just fudge it a little bit. We'll just take that job and we'll make a moral decision that we know it's not right, but it's only a season. We'll cling to our stuff and get trapped in a cycle of greed and envy, and we'll live with clenched fists, and yet we'll try to worship a God who gave us so much. See, Paul says to Timothy, make sure you tell rich people to put their hope where it will always pay off. 
no matter what's happening in the markets, no matter what's going on in your pocketbook, you can have hope. You can have hope. Put their hope in God. Timothy, tell them to move it over to Him who richly provides us everything for our enjoyment. This is, this is not a conversation to get you guilty. You know, oh gosh, I got good stuff. I've got a boat. I've got a lake house. I should feel bad. No, that's not, that's not this conversation. In fact, I don't think that's biblical. I think the things that we have been given, they're for our pleasure. And then they are for purpose. But if you think they're just for pleasure... There will come a day where you will, you will have that, you will be exposed that that was not true. So I want you to learn on this side of heaven, let's get it right. And let's not raise another generation of me-centered and self-absorbed people. Let's break that cycle within our family and the people that we influence. Last thought. Be generous now and in view of eternity. Be generous now and in view of eternity. Verse 18 provides some wonderful insight into the nature of wealth and the people who excel at managing their money. I don't know if you caught it. Let's, let's kind of look back on it because it's really, really interesting. Verse 18, command them to do good, to be rich in what? What kind of deeds? Good deeds. Be rich, rich, like just overflowing with good deeds. Like, man, what are we going to do today that's going to be a good deed? How are we going to bless someone with what we've been blessed with? Not, how am I going to accumulate more for my gain, my value, my benefit, and my satisfaction? How am I going to bless and be good? And people are going to look and go, wow, wow, that's amazing what they're doing. Make sure, Timothy, people who have a degree of wealth, whatever it is, they are pursuing on this side of heaven actions that make them rich in good deeds. And they're generous and they're willing to share. In this way, now this is the correlation, in this way, in that response, something happens in eternity. Don't miss this, and don't misunderstand this, because we've got to clear this up a little bit. This gets kind of twisted up in a lot of teaching circles. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for what age? For the coming age. So the way that I manage my stuff now impacts the next age. What I do on this earth with my things, somehow, I don't know how, it shapes my eternity. Now, it does not secure my eternity. That was only secured through the work, the cross, the death of Jesus Christ. That's not what Paul's saying. You cannot, you know, this isn't a, a heavenly timeshare kind of thing. But don't be dismissive. What we're doing with our things impacts there. Impacts there. You know, I don't want to get 
to any stage of my life, and I certainly don't want to get to heaven. And that little video rolls out, and Jesus goes, let's talk about what you did. You really needed another set of clubs? You know? Or maybe, gosh, any awesome set of second clubs. Way to be generous, though, on those other things. It's just, you've got to wrestle with that, guys. Christ followers wrestle with those questions. Right? Healthy Christ followers wrestle with those questions. What's our plan this year to be generous? Not just what's our plan to move to the bigger house, live the American dream, and fund the American dream. That's a great plan. Go ahead and fund it. But you better be having the second conversation as well. Our kingdom plan. Our kingdom dream. Do you have a kingdom dream with your finances? If you don't, I think you're missing a catalyst for growth like maybe no other growth. It's just a powerful statement. Because when I live as both worlds are real, it makes all the difference in my financial life. It just does. And people who are doing well at managing their money according to the biblical standards of management, they never let their stuff eclipse how they are walking towards eternity. It's interesting, my uh, daughter, when she was quite younger, um, she had a, a play date. And a little girl comes over, and uh, we're hanging out in the room, and this little girl reaches across to grab one of Gracie's endless amount of stuffed animals that we have. And she looked at that. She got kind of, you know, kind of red-faced and looked like, and she goes, and she clutches it, and she goes, mine! You, no! You know, and I thought, man, what? There's a demon in my daughter. That's what I thought right there. I thought, gosh, great. Christine, what are you doing with our kid five days a week here? You know, but she was just clutchy and she was holding on to it. She's like, this is mine. I, no, no. And, you know, it's really interesting. I was thinking about that today. I said, you know, we never have to teach our child the word mine, do we? I mean, you, if you've raised kids, you can imagine this. You've never had your child say, hey, you know, Dad, what's the concept of personal ownership again? You know, how do I refuse to open my hands and, and let go? Hey, hey, Mom, could you teach me how to not share? We, that never comes up. In fact, if, if we really have to do anything, we have to teach our children to share. We have to say things like, it's better, you know, say, give it away. When you have a friend come over, come on, share, be nice, be compassionate, be kind, be generous. Why? Why do we do that? You ever thought about that? Why? Why do we do that? Why don't we just teach them to accumulate more? Hey, when people come over, don't share your stuff. You know, they're greedy, they're needy. Find out what their dad makes and why they don't have it themselves. You know? They probably don't work as hard as we do. Why? We don't do that. None of us do that. Why? Because we know something about sharing. That a heart is more alive. A person is healthier. A person is more inclined to joy. 
that, that, that the, the, the world around that child is better when they share, when they're rich in good deeds. See, you as a parent are already trying to practice a biblical idea with your child. Let me ask you a question. Are you practicing it with yourself? Are you leaning over and saying, let's share? Let's take this cost of living adjustment. Let's give it away. Hey, we don't need another garage sale. Let's give it all away. Really? We don't need more stuff, man. Let's give it away. See, right now you're like, hey, you're crazy. That's crazy talk. Yep, it is. It, that's crazy talk. But the first century church got serious about this issue. And that's why Paul's words are so timely. Don't be arrogant with your money and your stuff. Don't trust in your money more than you do God. Be generous. Be as rich in good deeds as you are in trying to manage whatever wealth you have been given. In week one, and in then the last week, Pastor Ben and Pastor Lisa introduced us to the Dollar Club. We had this little generosity experiment where if you were part of that, we invited you to go out to the text number that we have as a church and text $1. And we said we were going to do something with that dollar to bless someone else. And so lots of you, you participated in that. So I'm going to invite Lisa to make her way up here and share a little bit about what happened as a result of that gesture of generosity that we did as a community. So let's, let's welcome Lisa here to the stage. Hey, good Hi to be there. with you. Come on over. Yeah. Let, uh, Lisa, tell us a little bit. Uh, fill in the gap. If I got, didn't get that correct, we did this generosity yeah, experiment. Yeah, two weeks ago, we started our series talking about money. We're yep. rich. <clears throat> and we just wanted to recognize, myself included, um, when you come into church and you sit down in those seats and they say, oh, we're talking about money today, um, you kind of tend to like clutch your purse a little tighter mm-hmm. or hold on to your wallet a little bit more. And we wanted to start this series with generous hearts. Um, like you said, recognizing that we are rich and we are blessed. And to try a little experiment, well, hey, what if we all came together and at the front end of each message, just asked each person to give something small. Um, and so what we did is last week and the week before, we asked all of you individually to give $1 um, to kind of show, give it to God, show, hey, we know we're blessed, you know, we have a yeah. dollar, we all have a dollar of change in our purse, and so to just be a part of this, but we didn't tell you what we were going to do with it, so it was really an act of trust um, for us, but trusting our Heavenly Father that He was going to take that small gift and bless it in big ways, so um, we told you to all come back this Sunday, and we were going to share the impact that your dollar, along with the kids and the middle school and yeah. the high school kids, have given um, and the difference that made. So that's what I want to share with you today. Right. Um, what we ended up doing in the band, there are a couple guys and their families that are involved with a small ministry called the Broken Bus Ministry. And um, I have some pictures to share so you can kind of get an idea of what they do. They serve a community about 20 um, minutes from here of um, homeless individuals, adults, 
that literally live um, in the woods under bridges and train trestles. And um, it's, this organization was started by a couple and their two kids, and they go every Saturday and Sunday and serve these individuals and build a relationship with them. So um, they were doing it out of their car, and they prayed, and, and God sent this broken bus, and that's kind of how they got their name. They wow. said it's banged up, it's a mess on the outside, but it works for them fantastically on the inside. I have a picture of that, and they said that's kind of like us as individuals. Mm -hmm. So um, what they do, it's a very small ministry, is they receive in donations like coats and hats and gloves and things like that. Um, and backpacks, and they just distribute whatever comes in, goes out each week to um, these individuals. So um, the other picture I have to show you is um, they can bring like five to six people on the bus. So what was very important to them is that they created and sowed seeds in people's hearts for serving. So they take a handful of people with them each week and they serve that community. They um, give a hot meal every um, weekend along with any physical needs that, that they're able to provide, praying for people and those sorts of things. So we were able to kind of gather all of those dollars up um, we were able to raise up to this point about $600. Um, so that means about That's 600 of you participated. So, um, and the kind of impact that that made, I have one story here um, to just share that you kind of can get an idea of what your dollar will do. Um, this individual is somebody they've served regularly. Um, his name is Dave. A lot of these individuals are veterans. Um, you know, the one um, guy that, that they introduced to me, he was a basketball star in his high school. You know, this individual here had some sort of, um, you know, church background because he had this Bible that he loved and held on to. But um, like many of us, his eyesight was going, so he couldn't read the small print. So they would say, well, let us buy you a big print Bible. Let us find a big print Bible. And he's like, no, I want this Bible. Mm -hmm. So um, they don't have any glasses, you know, that have been donated. So one of the things they were able to do is go buy this gentleman some glasses, present it to him, and instead of them going and reading the Bible to him, he was able that day to see his precious Bible and read it to wow. them, and they were able to sit down and read God's Word together. So um, that's just a little insight on um, what you guys gave, the impact that it can make um, in some people's lives that desperately that need it. That guy's reading his Bible today. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Lisa, I know, you know, as the outreach director, this is close to your heart, and we're talking about generosity today. A couple, one question. Why is generosity such a central expression of what it means to be a Christ follower to you? What, why would you think that's so important for us? Well, giving reflects God's attitude towards us. Mm -hmm. um, he gave his most precious possession to us. Um, and when we take something as small as a dollar and we say, yes, God, we give it back to you. Use me. Use this money that you've blessed us with. And we trust him. Um, he just uses that to chip away at our me-centered heart, yeah. um, to mold us and make us to be more like Jesus. And we become that bright light in a very, very dark world mm -hmm. um, that desperate people need to see. And, you know, giving and, and acts of generosity just allows us to just impart God's love um, on the people That's around us, and especially right here in our community. That is so good. How, if somebody wanted to give, I'm assuming we can still contribute to that yeah, dollar. Um, How do we do that? Yeah, make sure, um, if you have your phone with you, make sure you get that out, and I don't care if you do it right now, and follow us on Facebook if you're not already, and you can follow the Broken Bus Ministry on Facebook, and you will see, um, we will post ways that we can 
can support that ministry in the future. Winter is coming and the needs are, are getting great. Yeah. So we're going to do collect some coats and shoes and things like that. So watch for that on Facebook and on their page and ours. And then if you didn't participate and you want to still give that dollar, maybe you missed out the last couple weeks and weren't a part of that, the easiest way to do that is just text to give. You just get out your phone, bring up a new text, plug in this number, put 1.00 and send, awesome. and you'll get a link to link it up to a debit or credit card. Hey, let's there. celebrate that. That's good stuff. Yeah. Thanks, Thank Lisa. you. Yeah. That's good stuff. It's interesting. In a book called The Paradox of Generosity, by a, a socialist, a socialist, sociologist, Christian Smith, <laughs> the University of Notre Dame, he wrote, generosity is paradoxical. Those who give receive back in turn. By spending ourselves for others' well-being, we enhance our own standing. And letting go of some of what we own, we better secure our lives. By giving ourselves away, we ourselves flourish. Now, this is not simply just a, a, a philosophy or a religious teaching. It is a sociological fact. And here's a couple reasons why I want you to lean towards that. Because as you practice being rich in good deeds and sharing, I think you will begin to accurately reflect more the nature of your Heavenly Father. I think people will begin to understand better who God is towards them. One writer said, in, wrote, Paul wrote in Romans, it is the kindness of God that leads to repentance. What if we put kindness on display, not with reminding everybody who's right and who's wrong, but at opening up our hands and sharing? Imagine what would happen in our community, our city, and our world if just the people in this room got really serious about this today really got serious about being generous? What would happen in our areas if we start to see churches become these centers for generosity? Well, I believe a watching world waits. A watching world waits for Christ followers who will get this right. Who will get this one thing right. So let's truly act like what we are. We're rich. Now let's go leave here today and let's act like it. Let's act like it. Not as HGTV tells us to. Not as the Kardashians tell us to. Not as, as even kind of my heart apart from the grace of God tells me. But according to how Paul wrote to Timothy. Before we take communion, why don't we talk to God a little bit about these things this morning. Let's pray. Father, your words challenge us, and we are, we're coming at this subject from so many different experiences that um, I certainly can't cover all of that in my words this morning, but you can. And um, I pray, God, that those that feel maybe disappointment this morning, anxiousness, even maybe some feelings of anger towards today's subject. Maybe they have dismissed these words and they have sat in churches for most of their life. Uh, I believe, God, you want to speak to them, not to point a finger of accusation, but to try to liberate them and to have them more reflect who you've been towards them. 
So we recognize this as a spiritual issue this morning. And today I want to pray by the power of your Holy Spirit to take some steps that allow us to express and leave here with a plan. So everybody just take out your connect card. I'm going to walk you through a couple steps. Two of them we take, invite you to take every week. And the first is just to simply say, I want to receive Jesus. I, I want that expression of generosity to be my experience. That gift, I receive it today. Just check that box. All you're saying today is, I'm inviting Jesus to forgive my life and begin to lead my life. That's a, that is a huge first step in God transforming the heart. The second is just to be baptized. We baptize people every month. We schedule that. We'd love to celebrate that decision you make in step A by being water baptized. If you'd like to do that, we'd love to follow up with you on that and talk about how that's an important step in the discipleship journey. The next one I'm really excited about us all taking is you'll ask yourself this week, every day, what can I share today? What can I share? As you're making a lunch, maybe you'll make a little bit more and you'll bring it into work. Maybe you'll be at a a Starbucks and you'll buy the coffee behind you. Maybe you'll have an extra bike and instead of putting it on Craigslist, there's a little kid down the street who doesn't have a bike and you'll walk it up and you'll give it away. I just want you to be open to the idea that God wants to speak to you, engage you today and every day, and he wants to make that faith journey exciting, a little bit risky. Would you just be open to sharing? Just saying, I'm open to that. I'm I'm open to see how God might speak to me today. The next step is step D. We've talked about FPU. We're going to be launching it next week. We have a little bit of room left. If you'd like to be part of that, check box D. We'll send you some information, tell you a little bit more about that. And then lastly, we're going to prep for Big Day, the food truck rally. We're so excited. We want to kind of get everybody spiritually ready, practically get engaged. I want you to, you call foresee your home, to call this place your home. I want you to be a part of that experience in a way that just doesn't consume from it, but you actually invest in it. We'd like to kick everything off with a core rally on Saturday, September 12th. I'd love for you to be here. It'll be in the morning. We'll have child care. Ben's going to teach. We're going to cast some vision, get fired up. Love for you to be there. Check that box if you can be there with us. And as we head into communion, we have so much to celebrate, so much to be grateful for. So let's enter into communion worshipful, excited, and ready to share. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the work of the cross, all that you have given us. We leave here today armed with some information and our heart leaning towards an idea that it is better to give than to receive and that we have a choice in what we will be rich in. And may we not lack in only trying to pursue wealth. May we also pursue the the idea of being generous in good deeds. We pray these things in Jesus' name.